welcome from me. Um, it's great to see a good number of uh, familiar and some new faces amongst us. Um, we have been looking at Jesus' words in the, the Sermon on the Mount. Many, many f of his most famous sayings are found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And uh, we have got, uh, we're getting towards the end of it. We've got to Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. I was hoping to do 10 or 11 verses. We're going to do two. Um, uh, I, no, I don't think I'll apologize because I think you might be relieved. Um, uh, I felt that there was so much that we needed to look at and think about that we're going to reflect just on Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I can still remember, though it was nearly 40 years ago, uh, it, it still is with me with great vividness. The, the exhilaration, the relief, the contentment, the joy that I found of uh, when I first um, committed my life to Christ. There were various events over a period of a, a year or so that finally led to my baptism. I can remember the the intense sense of God's love, a God whom, uh, frankly, I barely knew at that time, but I can remember um, uh, His love overwhelming me at, at times. I can remember joining a church and being, again, overwhelmed by the warmth and the encouragement and the love that I found there. There, it, it was like a homecoming. I remember it repeatedly describing it as like coming home for me. I can remember slowly putting to, together the truths of the gospel, wrestling with them at first. I, was I really as bad as those preachers at the front um, uh, made out? I slowly realized that the gospel promise of full and complete forgiveness through Christ meant that actually whatever dark places I found in my heart, and frankly I've found a few over the uh, subsequent years, whatever I discovered, there was nothing that would or could separate me from God's love, stop me from being completely and utterly forgiven. The, the gospel reality of that just um, grew on me slowly, and Jesus' love became richer and richer. I remember wrestling over whether I could ever change some of the habits that, fr frankly, for the first time, I started to notice in myself and, and realizing that true change, deep change, actually occurs as I enjoy the love of God, as I, as I find from my heart myself crying out to God, Abba, Father, as Jesus had done. And that, that affection, that love, that bond with God started to drive out at least some of those uh, things that I found. It was, it was genuinely a, a wonderful time of, of, of simply coming home 
of finding a place, of finding that rest that Jesus was speaking about in, in the call to worship from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and you will find rest for your souls. That was, that, that was my experience. I, I, I could sing the old hymn of Horatius Boner from my heart. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, O weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, so weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. But then as I read the words of Jesus, I, I discovered that there is a, a, was another dimension to this new life that I needed to take seriously. I saw Jesus warning again and again and again that in following him, we are not only coming home, that is a very real part of the experience of becoming a Christian, but we are also entering into a war. We're also entering into a fight, a fight for our very lives, a fight for our souls. In Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, it is very, very clear. There have been lots and lots of wonderful encouragements, mainly based around God being our Father. He is our Father who knows what we need. He's our Father who sees what is done in secret. He is our Father who loves to give us good things as we ask and seek and knock. There's been so much of that. But alongside that, there has been Jesus warning us solemnly that we, in following him, are entering into a situation, for instance, Matthew 5.11, where people will insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. More than that, um, he warned us that there are deep spiritual dangers of anger, of pride, and lust, and more, repeatedly warning us that actually yielding to those, letting those become the, the, the warp and woof of our life, puts us in danger, as he puts it, of the very fires of hell. He, in his Sermon on the Mount, is, is unstinting in those warnings. It's not surprising, actually, that the Lord's Prayer ends with, Deliver us from the evil one, from the devil himself. Jesus uh, warns us then that we are in a battle with the world, the flesh, and the devil, as the New Testament puts it elsewhere. And it's a serious one. As I said, I planned to look at 10 or 11 verses as he comes to the end of his uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, this morning. But I couldn't get beyond the first two. Je Jesus' focus turns, indeed, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount towards solemn warning after solemn warning. There are enormous blessings. There is an enormous relief that comes from laying down the burdens that we had of trying to be good enough, of trying to pretend, of trying to make it in this world on our own, and all those other things. 
that we can lay down when we come to him. But he says we must be solemnly, seriously aware of the battle we are entering into too. Enter through the narrow gate. Wide is the gate. Broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. Notice that, that uh, Jesus agrees with the world that we are all on a journey. That's what we are told. Our life is a journey. But whereas the world says that there are many, many paths, many journeys that people take, but they are all leading to the same de destination, Jesus says, no, we should picture the journey in a different way. There are only two paths, not many. towards God and away from God. And there are two destinations. As he describes them, destruction and life. It's a solemn warning. Our choices matter. You may have stumbled into this cinema for a thousand and one different reasons. You may have thought this uh, sounds like a, uh, a good place to get a little taste of, uh, of, of religion. Offers more comforts than the average church. You may have been going to church all your life and think that everything is done and dusted in your heart. You may still know you haven't made the vital decision about which of those two roads you're going to walk. But hear the words of Jesus. The choice is important. There are not many roads to one destination. There are two diametrically opposed roads to two diametrically opposed destinations. Our choices matter. Why then do so few people choose the path that Jesus calls us to? Because only a few do, he says. The picture that he paints us, we need to, to, to get in our hearts. He, 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 we are walking down a great broad road with a great throng of people. Imagine the, uh, the, the walkway outside Christchurch or something, something like that. We are, we, we are walking down this great broad road and, and there is a gateway. But it is wide and the gateway is wide open and beyond it, there is more people, um, 
there, there, are, there is colour, there is light, there is joy, there is happiness, there is all kinds of wonderful things happening in that great throng uh, the, the, the beyond the gate. And only in the far distant uh, uh, horizon it, are there dark, ink-black clouds and uh, hints of thunder and lightning. Indeed, that indeed the crowd is is so big and so surging and so noisy that if there are people at the far end of the road being uh, forced by this sort of festival crowd into the darkness and screaming and crying as they go, we're not going to hear it. Just ahead of us, there is happiness. And a great throng. And then uh, on the right hand side there is a little gateway. It's a, it's a, it's a jar. It's, they used to call these little gates a wicket gate. And the road there seems much more winding and um, only a few people are slipping through that, that gateway. The only thing that makes it remotely interest, interesting is a little notice that stands on it. This way to life. It's got a signature on it. Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus is saying to us, can choose the big road if you want. In fact, the vast number of people will be doing so. But one day those clouds will be hovering over your head. Or you can choose this one, this little gate. And uh, you can't fully see where it goes yet but I'm telling you he says it's the road to life why do so few people choose it well maybe uh, in the way that I've portrayed it you say it's obvious but let me let me uh, let me unpack it pick it a little bit, to, to try to, to, to think through why it is that people walk down the broad road that Jesus describes in their throngs and often barely take a glance at where he says we should go. Often it's because we would rather chase what we can see, what we can touch, what comes into our immediate experience before we would trust promises of some future blessing. There's a, there's a, there's a sort of posh philosophical version of that, uh, uh, of that concept called empiricism. said that the uh, mathematician Laplace met Napoleon and, uh, and Napoleon 
uh, spoke to him and said, you've written this a huge book on the system of this world without once mentioning the author of the universe. And Laplace turned to Napoleon and said, sire, I had no need of that hypothesis. Empiricism, just uh, only uh, what we can feel and touch and observe, is, is quite a good discipline in science. But it promises far more than it delivers in the search for truth. Most of us don't spend our time agonizing over the philosophical dimensions of it, but we live like that. I'd far rather follow what I can see, feel, touch now than by these ethereal promises of, of Jesus. The writer Douglas Coupland, who, um, who, who, who came up with the name Generation X in one of his books, um, wrote another book, Life After God. He describes himself drifting through experience after experience after experience. He's chasing beauty and meaning and, um, uh, 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 and uh, um, significance on the road as he just drifts from one thing to another. Sometimes on his car radio, he's Canadian, he turns on and listens to American Christian radio, and for a moment he is fascinated, but he's also completely repulsed by it. For him, there is nothing beyond the next experience, and that is what he's searching for. A beautiful stand of trees in the autumn will drive out any of those other thoughts in a moment. But at the end of his book, he says this, on the very last page, you turn the last page of his book and you find this. Now, here is my secret, he says. I tell it to you with an openness of heart that I doubt I shall ever achieve again. So I pray that you are in a quiet room as you hear these words. My secret is I need God. That I am sick and can no longer make it alone. I need God to help me give because I no longer seem capable of giving. To help me be kind as I no longer seem capable of kindness. To help me love as I seem beyond being able to love. It's my conviction that the vast majority of people have those moments. Those moments when the sense of need for something beyond what I can immediately taste and see and touch and enjoy is almost overwhelming. But as far as I'm aware, Douglas Coupland never acted on that need. And Jesus warns us the vast majority of people don't. Now that road is wide and well populated because people just find it difficult to look beyond what they immediately see. 
They would rather indulge immediate appetites than store up treasure in heaven. And Jesus has already warned us in the Sermon on the Mount that where we store up our treasure tends to be where our heart goes. There is a sense as we store more and more treasure in the immediate and the visible and the, 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 the experiences that we have now that our heart becomes more and more locked and linked and bound to that. And simply unable after a while to look beyond and find life. Now, with the vast majority of us um, travel that broad road as well because we are frankly proud. One of the things that, that, that Jesus was absolutely clear with is that we have to embrace some very humbling realities. I need forgiveness. Before the searing brightness of God, I can only plead for his mercy. That is humbling. I need his mercy to change me. His love to draw me. On my own, I can't even come to God. It is not in my power. I simply must plead for his help. I must bow the knee to him in everything. I must, as he says, lose my life to find it. And everything within my natural being cries out to hang on to at least that, that most precious thing. Do you remember the story of the rich young ruler? It's only important that he's rich because that's what he loved the most. What must I do to have eternal life? He said to Jesus and Jesus picked on the center of his love and he said, give up all of that. Sell all your possessions and give to the poor. Then you can come and follow me. And he does it for each one of us. He humbles us. 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said there never was a person who could walk into salvation erect. We must go to Christ on our bended knees for though that he is a door big enough for the greatest sinner to come in, he is a door so low that people must stoop if they would be saved. As a proud man myself, I, I know what a battle that has been. We walk down the well-populated road as well because we're social beings. It is just natural to us. Why go down that little side gate? 
uh, when there's only a few people down there, when the vast majority of people are walking in another direction, it is so much easier. It is so much uh, more natural to us. Incidentally, that is why the, the social gathering of the church, small compared to the world though it is, is so important because we do not lose that social dimension of who we are and we need the support of one another in following Christ. But on its own, the church is a tiny little social group compared to the vast comfort of just walking with everybody else. So most people choose it. We follow the broad path as well because we are so easily deceived. The very concept of broad and narrow actually um, illustrates that so well. Of course, a broad church, is it must be the right one. A broad and inclusive movement. A narrow church must be bad, mustn't it? Surely there's a wideness in God's mercy. And with the, 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 the narrowness and nastiness and small-mindedness and meanness of some people, well, that just smacks of Phariseeism, doesn't it? And of course, there's a lot of truth in that. There is a wideness in God's mercy. There is a breadth in God's love. He so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. There is a sympathy of God towards his whole creation. There is a grace of God which is broader, wider, deeper than we could possibly imagine. And uh, those Pharisees were incredibly narrow. But in one respect in particular, says Jesus... Broad is not good, and narrow is. Broadly speaking, says Jesus, people will go their own way rather than God's. And there is a sense in which he has to grab hold of the hand of anyone who will follow him. To keep us safe. It is not small minded and mean for a parent to hold the hand of their child to keep them on the pavement rather than running into the road. And that is what I'm going to have to do with you, he says. Put your hand in mine. But we are so easily deceived. And we lack courage, don't we? We lack the courage to face the bemusement, mockery, scorn, possibly hostility of that throng walking down the wide road. There are so many reasons why we may walk 
along that broad road. So to heed Jesus' call, we must be people who are prepared to step aside from that social group for a moment and to think for ourselves, to think and reflect carefully. The dominant ideology of this world has almost always, if not always, been not the teaching of Jesus. Christians have always had to think differently, usually as a minority. But again and again it has been actually what the Bible has taught, what Jesus has taught, that has won the day. But in the moment, we must be people who are prepared to think for ourselves. We must be people who have courage to go against the flow. Jesus expects us always to be in a minority. The uh, a promise of Christendom, the idea that you could, you could develop a whole sort of nation and whole community and whole culture that was basically Christian, where Christians could live uh, uh, comfortably and uh, uh, generally supported by laws and customs and uh, popular beliefs, that was always as far as Jesus is concerned, naively optimistic. He is preparing his disciples from the beginning and the end to the end of the Gospels to live in a world where most people think differently and where sometimes they are hostile. And to go against the flow in a culture requires courage. We must be those who have a determination to persevere. You know, we, we keep, we've mentioned numbers of times, you're fully aware of it. We live at a, in a hostile moment where every group is against every other. Christians not particularly um, uh, singled out. Everyone who disagrees with everybody else forms into their tribes and, and fights, it seems at the moment. Big issues are gender and sexuality. We, uh, we know that only too well. And to persevere as followers of Jesus, we need, firstly, to have all the sympathy and kindness and patience and, and listening that we can towards groups um, who have been hurt and damaged sometimes by people who called themselves Christians. But in the end, there will come a moment in that debate as in every other debate where we have to make a choice. Will I follow Jesus? Will I believe Jesus? Will I obey Jesus? Will you enter through that narrow gate? Will you walk that narrow road? And there will be costs as we learn to persevere following him. There 
may be a cost of singleness. There may be a cost of giving up the dream career. There may be personal and relational costs in the, in the family. Jesus said, what use is it if you gain the whole world but lose your soul? Will you enter through that narrow gate? Will you walk that narrow path? We must be people who can take the long view for our life. In the immediate, it will be easier not to follow him. It is only because of the destination of those roads, says Jesus, that there is such an important choice. At the end of one is destruction, at the end of the other is life. Are you prepared to take that long view? Stories told of a, a missionary lady. She'd been out, um, I don't know where, she was speaking at a church back in the UK. She told of extraordinary adventures and dangers. She recounted a whole hostile villages turning to Christ, of churches planting, planted, of families being reconciled, of the, 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 the streets ringing to the praises of God as a result of uh, her dedicated mi ministry over decades. And there was a young man at the front who whispered to his friend rather too loudly, I'd give my life to have a testimony like that. And she turned to him and said, young man, I did. Will you enter through the narrow gate? Will you walk the narrow path? The great theologian Augustine of Hippo, living in the 5th century, comments on these verses at one point. And in doing so, he describes the cities of his day that he knew. And every city in that late stage of Roman Empire, every city, and in every city, the widest road was the road to the amphitheatre and the circus. It was only a couple of generations earlier that um, gladiatorial contests had been in full swing, where crowds had roared with delight as people died. Sometimes even Christians were uh, fed to the lions, as uh, uh, you probably know. It was uh, Emperor Constantine, the first uh, Roman emperor to embrace Christianity who finally banned it but the the roads were still there the amphitheaters and the circuses were 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 still there there was still entertainment happening in fact life-threatening entertainment uh, uh, very often and still the crowds were thronging down those broad roads Roman emperors still lived by the maxim that you could keep the 
people happy with bread and circuses. With enough food to meet their immediate appetite and entertainment. Because they understood what Jesus was talking about. The vast majority of people will follow where they can find bread and circuses. The breadth of the roads, says Augustine, is witness to that. And so still today, it is not by accident that in New York there is a street called Broadway. And maybe it's not by accident that in Oxford there is a street called Broad Street. A street which has at one end of it the library and a wonderful theatre for lectures and entertainment. But interestingly, in Oxford, at the other end of it, a little cross in the middle of the road. Because you see, more than 400 years ago, it was the best place to gather a great throng, was Broad Street. To witness the burning of Christian martyrs. Latimer and Bilney and Cranmer in particular. I wonder. I wonder whether for you there might be a moment when you would go to that street and um, stand on that cross or perhaps if you're self-conscious like me and stand at the side of the street and look at that cross. But reflect for yourself on what that street stands for. Look at the crowds wandering up and down who have wandered up and down Broad Street for centuries. Think about the tens, hundreds of thousands of people who have thronged into their libraries, and good thing too, and thronged into the Sheldonian. But who have done it not to follow Jesus. Because that's what people do. And then look at that little cross. We don't live in times nearly as hostile as they did. We are not going to be burned at the stake as they were. But we have a choice. 
Imagine yourself standing on that cross and suddenly everyone looks at you. All those crowds that were wandering around, everyone looks at you. Suddenly, somehow, it has been declared, this person is a follower of Jesus. This person has chosen not to go with the crowd. What will you do? I, honestly, I think I might lower my head and just mingle. It's terribly, terribly difficult, isn't it? Except that Jesus stands there and he says, you hold on to my hand. Because you're coming with me through this narrow gate, down this narrow path. Because it's the only way to life. So 40 years after I first embarked upon that journey, I, I can tell you that, that all of the wonderful things that I enjoyed at the beginning of my Christian life have become deeper and richer and more wonderful over, over the years. The extraordinary breadth of God's love and God's grace and God's kindness and God's mercy has just become bigger and bigger for me over uh, over the years richer and richer the amazingness of coming home into a community which is ultimately innumerable as as in as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore made from every tribe and uh, and nation and having experienced that over the years and being passionately delighting in being part of this church, those things are precious. But alongside that, I have had to slowly and painfully address all of those things in my heart and my mind that make me want to just walk down Broad Street with the crowd. And to again and again and again ask myself, will I stand with Jesus? Because it is only as people make those decisions that even this church can continue to exist. So I ask you again, will you enter through the narrow gate? Will you walk the narrow road? Next week in the evening, we will be baptizing Jasmine. It's really, really important thing to do as a Christian. She'll stand alone as she tells us what God has done for her because in the end we have to. She will go down into that water and she will go under it. 
because there is a death a death to the old life that must happen and she will rise out of it again I promise of every baptismal candidate I haven't lost any yet she will rise out of it again because there is life to be enjoyed but only through death because we must hold the hand of Jesus who died and rose again and walk the same path with him will you enter through the narrow gate will you walk the narrow path